Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. We've been in a series called Start Here, okay? So in the first week, we learned that God has created every individual for a purpose. In week two, we learned that the Holy Spirit is the fuel and the power for that purpose. In week three, we learned that purpose. With that purpose will come trials and suffering and pressure. But this week, I want to start where I think every Christian or new Christian should start. And it doesn't matter if you're a new Christian. It doesn't matter if you're an old Christian. But I think we should all start here. Start with his glory. Because when you start understanding the glory of God, you get a better understanding of who he is. So we're going to look at the glory of his creation. I'm going to lay this out for you. Get comfortable and have lots of paper if you're taking notes. The glory of his word and the glory of his son. I want everyone in here this morning to get a solid foundation for this storm we call 2024. And although it may look like chaos is reigning, God is in control. We are literally in the hand of God. The Bible says that he, he makes the earth his footstool. So that's what the picture I want to paint for you right now. God, with his feet propped up on earth. So let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would reveal your glory in creation. Reveal your glory in your word. Reveal your glory in your son today. And as we contemplate your goodness and your greatness and your immense power and your infinite glory, I pray that you would open up hearts and let this be a psalm of worship. And let every word glorify and honor you and soften hearts. Those who need a physician, Lord, that they find it in you. In Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. So let's talk about the glory of his creation. Where do you think I might start there? Let's go to page 1, verse 1 of your Bible, if you have a physical one. Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so that tells us when he created. When? You can speak. Who was doing the creating? Right. Okay, so then what was being created? Right. Very good. Very good. We, got a, we have an A-plus student right over there. But it doesn't tell us how he created so let's go to Hebrews 11.3. It says this, By faith we understand that the universe, or in other translations, the world, was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Does everybody understand what that means? It means that God created everything seen and unseen from nothing. From nothing. He had no starting point. He simply spoke and everything just was. That's the power of our God. That's not Big Bang. That's God's bang. I don't know why I did that. Maybe I could edit that. <laughs> I might get kicked off the internet for doing that. It's just a point. I, sometimes I do the Yosemite Sam. So God created everything seen and unseen from nothing. Okay? Hebrews 1.3 says this. He upholds all things by the word of his power. 
Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. All their host. So what that says is that God's literal breath breathed you into existence. There's a treasure inside of you. There's a treasure inside of each and every one of us. So who did he create? Let's go to Genesis 2-7. It says this. Then the Lord God formed the man. How many men? Just one. He formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Genesis 1-27. So God created man in what? His own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. That's not too confusing. So we are created as image bearers to display the glory of God. Now, don't get it twisted. Because we don't make God more glorious. We merely reflect. We merely radiate. We show. We act. We display his gloriousness because of his image inside of us. I told the early service I didn't get this from public school. I had to look it up. But this guy's name is James Lincoln Borglum. Anybody know who that is that wasn't in the first service? Yeah, I didn't know who he was either. But he and his son carved a 60-foot tall head of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln into the side of a granite face of Mount Rushmore. Why did he do that, though? So that they could glorify this new nation and its history. So that history wouldn't be lost. It would literally be... I mean, we're taking words out of the Bible, and you're making me get off onto a wild goose chase. God wrote on stone to give us his law. And what are we doing? We're trying to do the same thing. Ting, ting, ting. So why would he do that? He did it so that our history wouldn't be lost. That's what God's doing with you, with me, with seven billion in, uh, image bearers. He's doing the exact same thing. He says, you're made my image, glorify me. Seven billion image bearers glorifying God. The psalmist and Paul say this. They want to magnify the Lord. But there's two types of magnification. There's microscopes and there's telescopes. You see, the microscope magnifies something very small and makes it larger so that you can tell what it is. The telescope takes something magnificent and like indefinable and gets close up to it so that you can kind of get a glimpse of what it's really like. If you want to magnify the Lord, you've got to magnify the Lord like a telescope, not like a mag magnifying glass, because one's worship and one's heresy. Psalms 34, 3 says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. May our family and friends get a little better sense of what God is like through us as we magnify the Lord. Also, we have to understand that God did not create out of any need. He did not create out of loneliness. He did not create out of any type of defici deficiency within himself. He is the perfect triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a perfect loving relationship before anything existed. 
He chose in all of his infinite wisdom and sovereignty to display his glory so that we might see it, so that we might savor it, so that we might know it and experience it and love it and praise him for it. Everything he did, he did out of gift and love. God created all things seen and unseen to reveal his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed. He's saying, I formed you. I made. God's people are living proof of the glory of God. So let's go back to the questions that we had that Pastor Arm posed to us in the first week of this series. Those were, who am I and what am I worth? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? And if you believe everything I've said up until this point, you answer each and one of those questions like this. Who am I? I'm a child of the living God. What am I worth? I'm worth his life on the cross. Where did I come from? An all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present, gracious, merciful, and loving God who wants to know you. I... I can't get past that. I get stuck here every time. I, I read through this over and over through the week. I look at it. Of course, I can't memorize it. But I look at it, and I pray over it. And I teach it in the first service. But when I come to this part, it's mind-blowing that there is a God who hung each individual star, and he wants to know you and you and you and you, and you, and me, and you. He wants to know you. That's mind-blowing. Uh, where am I? Right, let's see. Where am I? Why am I here? To reveal the glory of the one true God. Where am I going when I die? To bask in that glory. To be in the presence of my Creator, my Father. That's where I'm going. If you don't, if you can't answer those questions like that, then you have to question whether you know God. Because he wants to know you. The question is, for Christians, are we displaying the glory of God? Or are we displaying the glory of our idols? Throughout all of history, people have exchanged the glory of God, his image, for idols and images created by man. Romans 1, 18, 23 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who are the unrighteous and ungodly? Men. When, 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 when Scripture uses man or men, it speaks of mankind. It doesn't speak specifically just as men. But maybe he's talking to Adam there. Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What are they doing? Suppressing the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his in invisible attributes. He's saying right now, you are responsible for knowing my invisible attributes. For my invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been made clear, clearly perceived ever since what? The creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, so now he's even saying they knew God. So not only is he showing you have a responsibility, he's saying, I know that you know that I know that you know. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image, images re, uh, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and seahawks and falcons and bulldogs. It's better in the first service. Today's idols are not mainly animals and creeping things. Today's idols are the person you see in the mirror every morning. And I say do as Moses did when he came down from Mount Sinai with the word of God in one hand and seeing the calf and pointing to it with the other hand. Grind it to powder, burn it down now and be transformed by the glory of the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God, the God of this church. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of your creator. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. People ask that all the time. They're like, what's the will of God for me? Well, pick up your Bible and find out. That's him talking to you directly. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're looking at. Because what you're looking at is a treasure that should be treasured. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, veiled faces? Unveiled. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So how do we get from one degree of glory to another? Behold the glory. Behold the glory of the Lord. This is what transforms us. This is what changes us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. God created each and every one of us with his image to display his glory for his glory. All of creation is declaring the glory of God. The psalmist writes in 148, the psalmist writes this. He calls on for all creation to worship God. He calls on the heavens. He calls on the angels. He calls on the sun and the moon. And this is special in this time because a lot of people were worshiping the sun and the moon. He calls on the stars. He calls on great creatures from the deep. He calls on fire and hail and snow and mist and storms and mountains and hills and fruit trees, beasts, li livestock, creeping things, birds, kings, princes of earth, men, women, children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth. Isaiah 40, 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. They're speaking of the stars. Lift up your eyes on, on high and see who created these. Who brings out their host by number, calling them by name. So not only does he hang the stars in the sky, 
He names the stars in the sky. If I had to name everybody in here, in this room right now, I would be in serious trouble. But God names every single last star. Scientists say that roughly 5,000 stars can be seen by the naked eye on a clear night. They also estimate that there's 400 billion stars. I have a problem with science. Because the scientific people start from the wrong point. Their presuppositions set them askew. My presupposition is that God spoke and everything came into existence. And most of the time they're underestimating God. Romans 1.20 says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since creation. No one is without excuse. This scripture is saying, because anything exists, I should, should exist in your heart. Because there is anything, you should believe in me. Psalms 19, 1 and 2 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Day by day and night by night, they're singing of the glory of God. God created all things unseen and seen, and he created you for his glory. And every day that we walk in this church to corporately worship together, this is what I want you to feed on. This is what I want you to think of. The glory. Because one day you're going to see it. With your own eyes, new glorified eyes. There's so many Bible stories in the Old Testament where prophets come before God in a vision and they can't look, they can't stand, and God has to forgive them so that they can be in His presence. There's so many stories. Moses has to hide in a rock just so God's glory can go by him because it would blow him into a billion pieces. One day we're going to see it. And this all comes out of his word. So what is the glory of his word? In Psalms 138.2, David says, God has magnified his word above his name. That is to say that when God says something, he does it. So how many people in this room right now would say that they live their life with that tenet? If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Oh, there's one. There's one right there. That's what I do with my kids. If I say I'm going to do something, heaven and hell are going to have to move for me to not do it because I don't want to promise them something and then not do it. That's, that, that right there is proof that there is a God because that is a God trait, not a flesh trait. Flesh traits are like, you know, just run your mouth nonstop for no reason. That's a flesh trait. Promises broken, lies, stealing. God is saying he magnifies his word above his name because he does what he says. So can we trust the Bible? We're going to shift gears a little bit. Can we trust the Bible? Yes, it's the book that God wrote. 
2 Timothy 3, 8, uh, 3.16-17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete and equipped, for every good work. So what is scripture? When we say the word scripture, we're saying sacred writing. And what we say, what does the word mean when we say Bible? It's the library. So what we have here is a library of sacred writings. The Bible is a series of 66 books written over the course of 1,500 years by roughly 40 different authors, and they all perfectly come together, woven together perfectly. They also were written in three different cultural contexts, Asia, Africa, and Europe. The Bible includes many different genres of literature, history, sermons, letters, songs, poetry, ar architecture, family trees, travel diaries, legal documents. The Bible is the best-selling and the most important book in history. It's the most significant, the most influential, the most impactful literature of all time. There's no writing like it. No book stands next to it. It's the most widely read, most widely translated, most widely loved, most widely hated book in existence. And the Bible is the perfect word of God, inerrant, without error, with no contradictions. And I say that boldly. The Bible was divided into two major sections. The Old Testament, which is to say the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. Primarily, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing, a looking forward to the Messiah's coming. And the New Testament is the Messiah coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a biographical sketch of Jesus' life, birth, death, resurrection, and purpose. Within these words written by the followers of Jesus and the early church, leaders, we get a glimpse into Jesus' perfect, sinless life. It also gives us evidence of him claiming to be God, confirming that he is God, and those that followed him believed him to be God, and that he rose from the dead and returned to the Father at the right hand. So the, fo the followers of Jesus then would go on to plant churches, which explains the explosion of Christianity throughout history changing the, the political landscape, literally. Every word of the Old Testament family, trees, historical accounts, prophecies, they all long for the coming of the Messiah. And every word of the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Let me show you a little bit about how it's all wove together. If you look here, you'll see 63,779 cross-references from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there's no coincidence that it looks like a rainbow, like a promise. What you get over here is the promise, and what you get over here is the fulfillment. Also, if you look, you'll see the prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. They say conservatively that he fulfilled 300 prophecies, which is mind-blowing. So God, why has he preserved his holy library throughout history? To reveal his glory. 
2 Timothy again, 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness. All scripture is not speculation about God. All scripture is revelation from God. There's Christians right now sitting in pool pits who think God learns. That's what I said. Because it's speculation about what God said from the person's point of view. I can't get in that. I can't get into that stuff. It's not speculation about God. It's revelation from God. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's our story as Christians. Where we were once simple in our sin, we are now wise in our righteousness, given to us freely by God. Psalms 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I like to picture the psalmist writing these words down using his papyrus. And his, I'm sure he had like a long feather. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What he's saying is you see nothing and you walk nowhere of worth without this word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible exposes our innermost thoughts. It reveals our intentions. And it shows us that we need a Savior. The Bible reveals truth. It directs our moral code. It brings to life our soul. It gives us wisdom. It convicts us. It challenges us. And it transforms us as we read it. The Bible affects and permeates all aspects of our life. Relationships. Finances, trials, suffering, victories. Ultimately, the Bible gives us four eternal realities that will last forever. God, sin, Christ, and faith. God, sin, Christ, and faith. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. The Bible is a book written for you but not specific, specifically about you. Yes, there's scripture about God's children. And you can apply it. But this is a book about Jesus, the son of the living God. The Bible is not many stories. It's one story with many characters, locations, actions, and reactions. The Bible doesn't just tell us what happened in the past. It tells us what's always happening. Always happening. You see it throughout the, the, the Old Testament. And the king did what, did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And the king did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And then the king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the nation is blessed. Then the king did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. Then the king did what the son. And this is just like son, father, grandfather. And they did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. 
The glory of God's word has been preserved throughout history, written by a loving father who wants to give his children wisdom, guidance, and ultimately the blessing of everlasting joy and satisfaction in his son, Jesus Christ, which brings us to the glory of the son, the glory of the word made flesh, John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning. You see how John starts his gospel, taking from Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is eternal. Always has been, always will be. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Him who? Yes, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.14. He explains to this that the word has been made flesh, incarnate. 1.14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is where it gets fun. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God's not learning. He created time. He had a plan. God doesn't have any plan Bs. He has one plan. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you're fatherless, you're not because you have received adoption by God the Father. So the fullness of time had come. See, timing matters to God. This is for everybody in this room. You feel like you're not where you need to be. You feel like you, something's, something's, something's wrong. Something's wrong here. Timing means something to God. He created it. He controls it. We live inside of it. He does not. He can do anything he wants with it. I mean, could you imagine if he was just like... <laughs> so timing matters to God. But because of the sin of our first father, our first human father, Adam... I'm going to say something real crazy right now, guys. Y'all ready? We all came from two people. You hear that, Internet? Two people. <laughs> we, all, we all came from two people. And because of the sins of our first father, Adam, we are born under the law, which is impossible for us to obey. The law is perfect. The law is perfect, but we are not. We are the ones stained with sin because of the sins of our first father. Romans 5, 12. Paul was a smart guy, and here's what he wrote. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So when did death enter into the world? After the man sinned. Which man? The one man. 
I mean, I'm just making it plain. One man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all people sin. Paul calls this the divine curse. He says, we're born, Galatians 3.13. Oh, sorry, Romans 5.2. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If that doesn't crush your heart, I don't know what will. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God became a curse for me. That's why we get excited in church. That's why we get loud in church. That's why we raise our hands in church. That's why we dance at church. Because the perfect sinless lamb was slain and cursed for me. Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter and the 17th verse, he says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish these laws. He hasn't come to abolish them. You know why? Because they were perfect before. To abolish the law or the prophets, I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Last verse. Everybody do this. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. It says, but in these last days, where are we? Yes, thank you. He has spoken to us by who? His son. And he didn't do that in the Old Testament. He spoke to just a few people. He anointed just a few people. Now, in the flesh, the word speaks to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Who is ruling and reigning in the air of all things? Jesus, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's an amazing verse and an amazing story. The glory of God. The apex is at the cross. Could you imagine hanging out with him while he was here on his mission? Good Lord. I often go to the story of Peter because Peter, I can imagine he was a pretty rough dude. And Jesus comes to him at the shore and he says, Peter, Come on in here, man. And what's hilarious is in the story, he just does. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's push off a little bit. He's like, dude, we've been fishing all night. He's like, nah, let's go out a little bit more. He comes back with a load of fish. God blesses him. And then he spends the next three years traveling with Jesus, getting to know Jesus, finding out that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus tells him, look, time's running out. I won't be with you very much longer. And he's like, where, where, where can you go that I can't go? And he's like, you know, the cross. 
They're going to seize me. They're going to take me. Peter reaches out with a sword and cuts the ear off a soldier. Jesus picks it up and puts it back on. He's been with him for three years. There's no telling how much family time he's lost. No, much, no telling how much money he's lost. Standing there in the garden. And I think about Peter when Jesus is in the tomb. I don't want us to be the Peter that goes back to fishing. Don't go back to fishing. He's called you out of that. He's called, that, he's called you out of the old work. It's time for the new work. Jesus rises from the dead. He goes to the shore and he goes, Peter! Peter jumps out of the boat. Doesn't even know it's Jesus yet. He's like, I think that looks like Jesus. Jumps out of the boat and swims. The other people in the boat are like, what is this idiot doing? You know, we can come to shore with you. Jumps out of the boat. What does he come to? He comes to a campfire where Jesus has made breakfast after being risen from the dead. And he asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, of course. Feed my sheep. You're going back to the fishing. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus ascends into heaven. The angels are like, what are you doing? Don't just stand here. Go preach the gospel. So then they go back. And they hide. They're scared. The law's after them. The law's after them. Sound familiar? The law is after the Christians. They're hiding in the upper room. And on Pentecost, the fire of the Holy Spirit wells up in that room. And Peter steps outside, and immediately, 3,000 are saved. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Don't sleep through it. Don't sleep through it. Don't fish through it. Revival's coming. Let me get back to my notes and get done. So the apex of God's glory is Jesus Christ. On the cross. The resurrection. The ascension. That is the, uh, uh, the apex of God's glory. And so I ask you again, are you beholding the glory of the Lord? Because it will transform you. If you don't want to be transformed, do not behold the glory. Because it will transform you. Let me show you a little bit of the glory of the Lord in the stories of the Bible. Adam was the first man who brought death into the world by sin. Jesus is the God-man who defeated death, hell, and the grave. Noah built salvation from the flood with an ark. Jesus died on a cross made of wood. This is what the Old Testament is telling us. The ark was made of wood. The cross is made of wood. One salvation for then, one salvation forever. Moses led the children of Israel out of captivity. Jesus led all of the church out of captivity and set the captives free. Abraham, through a covenant with God, became the father of our faith. Jesus is the greater covenant and the author and finisher of our faith. Isaac was Abraham's promised son. Jesus is the greater promised son, only begotten son. Isaac was to be sacrificed for the sins of his family. Jesus was sacrificed as the spotless lamb, slain before the foundations of the earth to redeem his children. 
Jacob had 12 sons, and from those sons came 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is the greater Jacob, that through his death and resurrection brought forth the church and the family of God. Joseph was hated by his family, sold into slavery, became second in command in Egypt, and freely gave forgiveness and salvation to his family during a famine. You're thinking, that's pretty close to Jesus, right? No, it's not even close, because Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He is the bread of life, freely offering salvation to those who will put their faith in him. David was the king of Israel and a man of war and worship. Jesus is the greater king, the king of kings, the glorified God-man that will make war on his enemies in the last day, and we will worship at his feet. Isaiah was the prophet, the mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. Jesus is the greater prophet that proclaims forgiveness through his blood. And he, pro he prophesies his return. Jesus is the greater priest that walks through life with us. A greater disciple to the Father. He's a greater apostle that inspires and walks in the midst of his church. This is who we worship at Activation Church. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the earth. The Alpha, the Omega, the composer of this symphony we call life. And he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of your mouth opening and giving him praise. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. The purpose of all creation is to reveal Christ crucified to reveal his grace to display his love through his created image bearers and to activate that grace in you god has revealed his glory through his creation through his word and through his son and i thank him for it do you know it do you savor it do you show it because that's your purpose